Good morning and welcome to Current Radio. It's Tuesday, January 9th. Today we're discussing how America's first great environmentalist is inspiring Floridians to reconnect with nature over 200 years after his tour, and a new project using isotopes to pinpoint the birthplaces of the enslaved. Plus, we'll be looking into a private U.S. moon mission and its potential to open a new era for science and learning about the fusion of Western science with traditional knowledge. This coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. In the late 18th century, American naturalist and writer William Bartram embarked on a four-year journey throughout the Southeast, documenting the landscapes, plants, animals, and people he encountered. His travelogue, Travels, has inspired generations of naturalists and environmentalists. Charlotte, could you tell us more about Bartram's legacy and how it's being revived today? Absolutely, Diego. Bartram's work was groundbreaking in its time. His travelogue, which detailed his journey through Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi, was part scientific catalog, part spiritual memoir, and part travelogue. It brought international attention to the natural wonders of the South and has been a source of inspiration for scholars, artists, and wanderers ever since. Bartram's work fell out of favor in the 19th century, but it seems there's been a resurgence of interest in recent years. Can you tell us more about that? Indeed, Diego, today a Bartram revival is underway, led by enthusiasts who call themselves Bartramites. They're working to recognize Bartram's root nationally and are fueling new scholarship and a biennial conference. Bartram's holistic philosophy of nature is seen as a blueprint for a future where nature is both protected and restored, a vision that's become increasingly urgent in the face of climate change and population growth. It's fascinating to see how Bartram's work is being used in modern times. Can you share some examples of how his writings are being applied today? Certainly, Diego. For instance, Dean Campbell, a retired environmental engineer and a Bartramite, has spent a lifetime studying the St. John's River with a well-loved copy of Travels in his boat. Campbell has used Bartram's writings to piece together the pre-colonial history of the river and envision what it might be again. In Florida, the Park Service uses Travels as a reference for everything from topography and water cycles to wildlife and plants in their management of Payne's Prairie. Bartram's records have been used as a baseline for ecological restoration by scientists all over Florida. It's clear that Bartram's work continues to resonate and inspire. His legacy is a testament to the enduring power of nature and the importance of preserving it. Thanks for sharing, Charlotte. Now let's delve into a startling discovery made in 2013 when a construction crew in Charleston, South Carolina unearthed human bones while digging a trench for a local performing arts center. The site turned out to be a late 18th century burial ground, likely for enslaved Africans. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this discovery and what it means for our understanding of history? Absolutely, Diego. The discovery of these graves led to a significant effort to identify and honor the individuals buried there, who are now referred to as the Ancestors. The city enlisted cultural anthropologist Ade Ofunian, also known as Dr. O, to lead this effort. Ofunian, who passed away in 2020, was instrumental in ensuring these individuals were not forgotten. He even presided over a traditional Yoruba naming ceremony for them in 2019. That's fascinating. And I understand there's been some recent scientific work to learn more about the ancestors' origins. Yes, that's right. With the consent of Charleston's African-American community, DNA samples were extracted from the remains and analyzed. 
The results suggested that many of the ancestors hailed from West Central Africa, West Africa, or Sub-Saharan Africa. One individual was found to have mixed West African and Native American heritage. However, DNA can only tell us so much. To trace the origins of these individuals with more precision, anthropologist Vicky Ulzi uses a tool called isotope mapping. Can you explain more about how isotope mapping works? Sure. Different geographic regions have different proportions of elements, including isotopes. Ulz and her team focused on the isotopes strontium-86 and 87, which are found in the ancient bedrock of Angola. By creating a map of where different concentrations of these isotopes are found in the Earth, they were able to make some educated guesses about where the individuals might have grown up. They found that a handful of the individuals could have spent their formative years in Angola. Elsa's team is also working on creating maps using other isotopes, which can provide even more specific details about an individual's early life. Incredible. And what does this mean for our understanding of the transatlantic slave trade? Well, these findings can help form a more complete picture of the entire transatlantic slave trade. Historians have long debated how deeply the trade penetrated into the interior of the continent. With this new isotope data, researchers can trace a person's likely path from the African interior to an Atlantic port and then to destinations throughout the Americas. This provides a remarkably precise and personal view of who enslaved individuals really were. And what about the Anson Street African Burial Ground Project? Are they continuing Dr. O's work? Yes, they are. The project is working towards Ofunian's vision, including the creation of a monument at the site where the ancestors were reinterred. An artist will create bronze casts of the hands of 36 Charleston residents who roughly match the ancestors' heritage, sexes, and ages at death. The hands will sit atop a fountain whose basin incorporates soil from other nearby African-American burial grounds. It's a powerful symbol of remembrance and connection. A touching tribute, indeed. Thanks for sharing this remarkable story, Charlotte. Now let's shift our gaze skyward to a significant development for space exploration, where a private robotic spacecraft, Peregrine, launched from Florida with the aim of landing on the moon. This would be the first U.S. mission to do so since 1972. Charlotte, can you share more about this mission and its significance? Absolutely, Diego. The Peregrine mission is part of NASA's Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program, or CLPS, which is essentially NASA outsourcing future robotic lunar missions to private companies. If successful, this could open up a new era of lunar research. The spacecraft carries five scientific instruments built by NASA, along with other payloads from various countries. The goal is to conduct science on the lunar surface, with a particular focus on volatile elements like water. Interesting. And what are the challenges that this mission might face? Well, landing on the moon is no easy feat. The lunar surface is littered with debris from failed landing attempts. Only the Soviet Union, the United States, China, and India have successfully achieved soft landings on the moon. No private company has done so yet. The Peregrine spacecraft still has to successfully enter lunar orbit and then touch down safely. The landing attempt is planned for 23rd of February. And what happens if the landing is successful? If the landing is successful, the spacecraft will start conducting science with a variety of instruments. One of the key objectives is to analyze how volatile molecules move around on the lunar surface, including how they are transported to the moon's poles, where they are frozen in dark craters. The water in these craters could serve as a potential resource for future astronauts. The mission also carries non-scientific payloads, including art and educational projects, and even cremated human remains destined for the lunar surface. That's fascinating. But I understand there's some controversy around these non-scientific payloads, correct? 
Yes, that's correct. The inclusion of cremated human remains has been controversial. The Navajo Nation has lodged a complaint against this practice, describing it as desecration of a celestial object that is sacred to them. NASA has apologized to the Navajo Nation for a similar incident in the past and has a meeting planned with Navajo leaders to discuss next steps. It's clear that as we push the boundaries of space exploration, we also need to navigate complex ethical and cultural issues. Thanks for your insights, Charlotte. Now let's shift our focus to the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, where a PhD student is taking a unique approach to the biology of invasive species. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this? Absolutely, Diego. This PhD student, who is an Lakapamuk's woman of mixed ancestry, is blending Western science with indigenous knowledge to tackle the issue of invasive species. Instead of focusing solely on eradicating these species, she's asking a different question. What do culturally important local plant species need to flourish? That's a fascinating shift in perspective. How is this approach being applied in the field? Well, she's been working on the Cowichan Estuary Restoration Project, which is the largest of its kind on Vancouver Island. They've removed two kilometers of dikes to reconnect the estuary to wetlands. In 2022, they saw the bloom of Kamis, a bright purple flower that's an important fiber source for coastal indigenous peoples. This led to a realization that the estuary had been a significant food source for local indigenous peoples, prompting a rethink of the restoration project. So it's not just about restoring the land to a pre-colonial state, but also about understanding and respecting its historical and cultural significance. Exactly, Diego. The project now involves community-based researchers, elders, and knowledge keepers. They're using remote sensing technologies and oral histories to shape the land according to community values and needs. It's a holistic approach that respects both the ecological and cultural importance of the land. A truly innovative approach to land management and restoration. Thanks for sharing, Charlotte. As we wrap up our stories for today, we appreciate your time with Current Radio and look forward to having you back here tomorrow.